if you think about it, this kind of a move, how many times in an adult's life do you make a clear decision that's going to be your direction for maybe the rest of your life? Most of our decisions are muddied, you know, kind of like maybe marriage, kids, career. And then once you're in those pathways, that's about it. That's your vehicle, right? So like if you have marriage and kids, okay, that's your vehicle. But just think of how huge this kind of decision is. Now, it doesn't mean that Siddharth can't leave and take up family life, and that's, that's good too, but it's a, it's a profound, profound thing. I mean, I, when, I, when I took the robe, I didn't realize really what I was getting into. But so the, this, this is what, and we're all here, uh, you know, Siddharth, and, and so while we're going through the ceremony, just wish him well on his aspiration, wish him well, may, may this aspiration be um, bringing the ultimate realization, because that's why we're, we're doing this project. So, without further ado, would you start the sound? Sambato garava sarajopato aboka sopa baja naidang sukaranga garanga jawa sata ekanta paripunang ekanta parisuddang sankalikitang brahmacharyang charitong yamnona hanke samasung o haretwa kasayani watani achadetwa agara sama Agara sama anagariyang pabajayang. The household life is cramped and dusty. The homeless life is free as air. It is not easy living the household life to live the fully perfected holy life, purified and polished like a conch shell. Suppose I were to shave off my hair and beard and don the robes of a Buddhist monastic and go forth from the household life into homelessness. Okay, see that. I think it's a great idea myself. <laughs> <laughs> so came if you would help Siddhartha and Siddhartha if you used the Bhikkhu and get the robes out. <coughs> Best idea I've heard all day. <laughs> Interesting time for us that so many men have come to who are interested in living this life. It's nice. We had many years of drought. Between Kama, years. And so it's, it's a very inspiring sign to see people are actually interested in in um, doing this this life like we do, because it's, it's, it's a really rare, rare thing that, first of all, that uh, you have a place like this. Like for women, it's much, much more difficult to find places of ordination. 
and that we have uh, um, a very uh, supportive lay community that understands the uh, the support that's needed for uh, someone to go forth. That's a big thing. And then that uh, a man has the personal freedom to do this because um, quite often men have debts or physical illnesses or whatever, they can't do the diet, there's all manner of things that happen. And all those things come together and then you have experienced monks who understand the training, can offer the training. There's many, many things that have to come together for this to be here. So it's obviously it's much more different than just having a Buddhist group, right? A kind of sitting group that gets together every fortnight and decides, should we do Theravada or maybe we'll do Zen tonight, you know? <laughs> it's got a bit more meat in it than that. <laughs> And so it takes it takes really quite many years of dedication for a lay community for that um, grounding to be there. So the OBS has been here for for uh, many many years, and they've invited teachers to come, and uh, monks have come, and retreats have been held, and so all of that is a part of what of today. It doesn't just come out of the blue. Uh, and, and the building of a community that appreciates a tradition. That's a big thing in the West. It's quite often people are untra- not traditional, you know, they're, they're kind of eclectic and they have different views of religion and such like. So, yeah, how, how, old, how old is the OBS? 30 years? 30 years. TBC has just celebrated their 30th year. So, so that that uh, that ongoing dedication to to one tradition because it has to be one tradition not that one tradition is exclusively the right tradition but if you don't if you don't carry this whole thing through a tradition then you really don't have this kind of setup you kind of sometimes I've I've been with groups where they 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 don't quite know who they are so they get one year into psychotherapy and then one year into maybe some Zen in one year, which is all alright, but there's something um, very powerful, obviously, about carrying a tradition. And so, here we are. You know, here we are, that, that we can offer this, this training. And that's a very good sign for a community, that, that we are mature enough, that we have the resources, that we're generous enough as a community, and that men are interested in what we're doing and, and, and want to dedicate their lives to this. And that's good for all of us. You know, it's good for lay people or monastics because it's a, it's a very healthy thing. And I think all, all of us, whenever uh, someone like Siddharth or like Arnagarth um, make this determination, I think we're all re, redetermined, as it were, to do this work and to, to practice in this way, so it's, it's it's a good sign for all of us. One thing about uh, a monastery is that the generosity from the lay people is is very pure because it's it's it isn't a deal. It's like we'll support monks if you guys do retreats, right? Or you give dhamma talks, or you write books. Or, it's not. It's not that, is it? It's like, hey, you want to do this? Good on you. We're going to support you. It's. It's not. It, it's. It's very beautiful that if you think about it. We all see someone who wants to 
live by the precepts, dedicate their life to meditation, say, how can I help you do this? Rather than, I'll help you if you do the retreat next year. It's not, it's not like a university where you're pumping out professors for Buddhism or something. It's much, much different. So there's a kind of purity in this offering. And it's an act of generosity that a community is, is doing. Like it's saying, if you want to do this, we'll support you in the doing of this. And then, and so the, the, the candidate who goes forth feels that. You know, they feel, well, wow, these people, they go to work. And they're willing to support us and make sure there's petrol in the car and all that. And our duty then is to both remember that with gratitude and then really work at it. And really take this opportunity and work real, real hard on, on uh, giving up and letting go. And uh, so we try that. We give it a go. Uh, so it's an extraordinary uh, opportunity and it's a, it's a healthy sign, like I said, it's a healthy sign of our, of our, of our community. I've, I've seen a lot of Anagarikas come and go. More have gone than have stayed. It's quite quick. And that's not a bad thing. You know, someone chooses to be here a year and then says, no, I'd like to do family life. That's not a... You know, in, in Buddhism, it's not like failure. It's just, it's been a very good year. You know, so anyone who has done done time in the monastery, <laughs> any amount is good because it's wholesome and it's it's aspiration. And so the 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 way we we do the determinations for an anagarika is we do it chunks at a time. So if someone says, "I want to ordain for life," which he has said. So yeah, yeah, we just do a year. <laughs> because there, there's a kind of methodology to it where what, we, um, what we've seen is that a determination from life, if it starts to go sour, feels like a prison. But if a determination for a year starts to feel sour, I can say to them, it's only a year. And then, it, then the person can look at it, and usually they get through it. But if you say, I'm going to do this forever, and then, after half a year, oh God, I have to do this forever? <laughs> You've kind of backed yourself into a corner and checkmate. If you have this attitude, okay, I'm just going to do this for a year. Then if halfway you think, oh man, I can't, well, it's only six more months. You can do it. And then there's more chance of like, looking at doubt or whatever difficulty there is. And if the person has doubts and they leave, that's fine. But at least they've had a a way to look at that. So that's the sort of method to the madness. Siddharth is interesting because he's actually a Brahmin. He comes from a Brahmin family, so you had to give up the thread. And and so we are, you know, in our texts and in, in the Pali Canon, it's full of uh, stories about Brahmins and the Buddha encountering Brahmins and having debates and so on and so forth. So his renunciation is particularly interesting particularly interesting from from the historical background of India and how Brahminism and, and Buddhism have coexisted and fought with each other and debated with each other and so on. Uh, but the idea of uh, Brahmacharya uh, in Buddhism, because the Buddha took over that word, or re, 
redefine it, I suppose. Brahmacharya is a celibate life, or the homeless life. So he is taking up Brahmacharya. So going from a Brahmin life to Brahmacharya. So, um, but his parents are very, very keen, very happy that he's doing this, and they have a, they have strong faith. They have, he comes from a very religious family, in a, in a very good way. Um, and here he comes. Now, the transformation. Watch this. <laughs> oh, it's Peter. Ahangbante tesaranena saha attasilaniya chami. Dutiyampi ahangbante tesaranena saha attasilaniya chami. Tatiyampi ahangbante so, Siddhartha, determine in your mind now to live by the precepts under the guidance of the teacher in, in this community. And your aspiration is the realization of Nibbana. Namo tasa pakavato arahato sama samputasa. Namo tasa pakavato arahato sama samputasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. 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 Buddhang saranangachami. Buddhang saranangachami. Dhammang saranangachami. Dhammang saranangachami. Sangang saranangachami. Sangang saranangachami. Dutiyampi buddhang saranangachami. Dutiyampi buddhang saranangachami. Dutiyampi dhammang saranangachami. Dutiyampi dhammang saranangachami. Dutiyampi sangang saranangachami. Dutiyampi sangang saranangachami. Tatiyampi buddhang saranangachami. Tatiyampi buddhang saranangachami. Tatiyampi dhammang saranangachami. Tatiyampi dhammang saranangachami. Tatiyampi sangang saranangachami. Tatiyampi sangang saranangachami. Tisaranakamanam nititam. Amabhante. Panati pata veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Panati pata veramani sikapadang samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking the life of any living creature. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking the life of any living creature. Adinadana veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Adinadana veramani sikapadang samadhyami. And I take the precept to refrain from taking for taking that which is not given. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. Abramacharya veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Abramacharya veramani sikapadang samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from any kind of sexual activity. I undertake the precept to refrain from any kind of sexual activity. Musawada veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Musawada veramani sikapadang samadhyami. 
I undertake the precept to refrain from false and harmful speech. I undertake the precept to refrain from false and harmful speech. Sura mera yama japamadatana viramani sikapadang samadhyami. Sura mera yama japamadatana viramani sikapadang samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from consuming intoxicating drink and drugs which lead to carelessness. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking intoxicating drinks and drugs that lead to carelessness. We call our board. I undertake the precept to refrain from eating at inappropriate times. I undertake the precept to refrain from eating at inappropriate times. Nacha gita vadita visuka dasana mala ganda vilepana dharana mandana vipusanatana veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Natcha Gita Vadita Visukadasana Malaganda Vilepana Mandana Dharana Vibhusanatana Viramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. And take the precept to refrain from entertainment, beautification and adornment. I undertake the precept to refrain from entertainment, beauty and adornment. Uchasayana Mahasayana Viramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. Uchasayana Mahasayana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. And take the precept to refrain from lying in a higher luxurious sleeping place. I undertake the precept to refrain from lying on a high and luxurious sleeping place. Imani Atasikapadani Samadhyami. Imani Atani Sikapadani Samadhyami. Imani Atani Sikapadani Samadhyami. Imani Atani Sikapadani Samadhyami. Sealing a sukating yanti, sealing a boka sampata, sealing a nipoting yanti to sama, sealing resort a ye. Well, welcome. Nice to have you with us. Thank you. So, one more. Now, the Siddharth will now ask for dependence. So, one of the. Come on in. Come on in if you want. Don't hide. Um, so the when one uh, lives in a monastery, the the training is that one takes dependence on a teacher. So that's me in this case, and that relationship is very very important because um, to to have a to have a situation you know, to have a teacher is a big thing if, if you think about it how many people after university never had a teacher you know you're just kind of on your own floundering around and trying to make your way in samsara and so in in uh, the beauty of of our our system is that we have we have elders we have teachers and and this um, sense of training can go on for 2500 years and the thing about training is, is uh, you can't, you know, if you read these books on the Vinaya, they're just confusing. Some of the rules, you know, we just went through the, some of the rules on money, you just, your head starts spinning. And it's very, and, and, and it takes actually a, a body of men who, who understand how to use these rules and how to train. And so Siddharth taking dependence on a teacher, he's also asking, for instruction. How do I live this life? How do I be a bhikkhu? How do I be an anagarika? How do I train in this way? And um, so this 
sense of dependence is, is uh, reiterated throughout the year. So when we start Vasa, take dependence on a teacher. When a monk goes to a new monastery, takes dependence. And that dependence for the bhikkhus is up to the fifth year, as I think most of you know. So after that, a bhikkhu can be a free agent. But even, even in the monastery, one still takes dependence on a teacher. So this is this part of the ceremony. And that establishes a relationship between myself and Siddharth, where I have responsibilities to him, he has responsibilities to me, and also establishes a responsibility with, with the whole community. So if you do that... Acharyo me bante bhogi Ayasamato nisaya vachami Acharyo me bante bhogi Ayasamato nisaya vachami Acharyo me bante bhogi Ayasamato nisaya vachami Upaikam Sadhu bhante rupam Sadhu bhante Pasadikin sampadehi Sadhu bhante Ajagate dhani tero mayangbaro Ahampi tera sabaro Ajagate dhani tero mayangbaro Ahampi tera sabaro Ajagate dhani tero mayangbaro Ahampi tera sabaro It is good, Venerable Sir, from this day onwards the tero will be my burden and I shall be the burden of the tero. Each other's Burdens. <laughs> <laughs> so, Siddharth, if you would take your seat and then offer some reflections. Matthew, can you do the honors? Brahma Chaloka Deepati Sahampati Katanjali Aniti Varamaya Chata Santida Sata Pajakajatika De <laughs> Siddharth approached us some time ago and uh, asked us if he could be in an agarka and really fulfilled the, all the criteria necessary. He was here with us and we got to know him and we're very, very happy and w- to welcome you, Siddharth, into our community. Um, Siddharth's very well versed in Indian literature, so I keep asking him about the Mahabharata which is one of my favorite stories. So I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> Lunchtime meetings. Going forth, renunciation. This is a, a theme that comes to us from India. Um, and it's a, it's something that, it's a kind of gift that India has given us, this this the renunciant in society, the, the holy seeker. Um, we don't really have that archetype in Western culture. It came maybe afterwards, St. Francis or someone like that, but the kind of roots of it seem to be from India. And, and India has always upraised that, that quality of 
first of all, spiritual aspiration, and then the renunciant who dedicates, the sannyasin who dedicates life to that, to that realization. And that's, of course, the model that we have from the life of the Buddha, whose own deep questioning led him to renounce his family life and seek the deathless, to seek the unconditioned, the uncreated, the unoriginated, the unformed, the deathless, as a counter to the inevitable nature of the body and the mind and family and society, the nature of that is is to die. And so this aspiration is central to, I guess, I mean, I I shouldn't say, but seems to be central to what fascinates uh, many of us about India is that exists. India cer- certainly is a challenge on on many levels, social and ecological and pollution and travel and things like that. But there is this interesting core spirituality that for those of us who have been to India is, is fascinating. And that's where I started my... Uh, my um, determination to live a renunciant life. I had stirrings of some kind of seeking before that, but India crystallized it. So I have a, I have a, a great debt to India, and then of course the Buddha was born in India, a double debt. So having Siddharth join us, who's originally from Mumbai, and I'm from Madras. What's Madras? It's Chennai now. Chennai, obviously, from Chennai. It's a great privilege. Because from that area of India, you also have Buddha, Buddha Gosa. How far from your place? It's about 80 kilometers. 80 kilometers. So, you know, all of that southern Amaravati is not so far away from there. So, uh, this is a really lovely, lovely to have that actually physical connection. The, the, the methodology of our, our life is, is both social and conventional, and then it's also uh, contemplative and, and personal. And the social conventions that we live by, as you all know, are based upon uh, the idea of renunciation. And on a physical or social level, it's, it's giving up power over money. It's giving up power over resources. It's... Uh, uh, it's obviously renouncing, like giving up um, pursuit of sexual desire, um, giving up a lot that most people think is very, very important for happiness. And so there's a kind of con- constraint to our life, obviously. There's, a, there's boundaries and limits that we uh, live within. And the determination to live by the precepts and the determination to take a teacher is emblematic of that renunciation where for this period of time now I'm not just going to do my own thing I'm not here to organize the monastery to get my own thing to get my own comfort uh, to get more space for myself to maximize my own pleasure and um, just kind of get what I want but I've come here actually to give up and this is one of the things Ajahn Chah would say. People go to Wapapong and, why have you come? And they'd say, well, I want to learn to meditate. And he'd say, you've come to die. And <laughs> so thanks. 
but death obviously not in physical sense but death of ego and and how does that happen well um, it happens through the willingness to look at unfulfilled desire because the pursuit of craving the attachment to craving and all its external uh, projections that that constant restlessness of the mind uh, never really liberates and so this sense of death is, is a very powerful one in, in Buddhist practice but it's not it's not it doesn't lead to some kind of negation of life it actually leads to silence and peace so the observation of craving is is is, is paramount essential to our life and then Craving frustrated is a very good teacher when craving is frustrated. We have needs and the requisites that we get in the monastery are more than sufficient for our needs, more than sufficient. So we're looked out that way. So the craving that comes <coughs> up is always superfluous. You know, something extra that will be all right, you'll be okay if you don't get that. It'll be all right. And so we have a chance, we have a freedom through this renunciation, we have a freedom to look at unfulfilled craving, the frustration of desire. So if, like if it's celibacy, living a celibate life, frustrates sexual desire, doesn't repress it, sexual desire is a natural formation in nature, there's nothing wrong with sexual desire, but now the renunciant has the opportunity to emphasize awareness of sexual desire rather than the fulfillment through sexual desire. So sexual desire is, is a natural part of life and in relationships uh, lay, lay people are asked to keep the five precepts so to live in fidelity and to live uh, in loving relationships so sexuality isn't exploitive and, and divisive and so on. In monastic life or life as we live it here under the eight precepts and uh, celibacy is a way of also observing sexual desire but not trying to find fulfillment through it. So what you emphasize is awareness. And once you start to emphasize awareness rather than the objects of desire, you start to move towards Nibbana. You start to move towards that which is not dependent on craving. If one thinks that, say, sexual desire is wrong, then that's... A, that's not awareness, that's a judgment that it's wrong. If one thinks that the, that uh, Nibbana can be realized through the fulfillment of sexual desire, we'd say, well, no, no. Sexual, the fulfillment through sexual desire is, is limited. It's limited. So that's a, quite a um, big part of, obviously, a men's community to, to give up that strong, natural urge and to try to develop skill and mindfulness around a strong uh, natural formation. And so it sounds like you're going against nature. Well, not really. You're just observing nature in a different format. And understanding that uh, sexual desire in a format of celibacy rather than a format of loving relationship. In both cases, one has to understand sexuality or um, that force will always confuse one in some way or other. The renunciant life also, like uh, say around food, we have these very odd food rules where we uh, 
Don't eat after, well, we nibble after. <laughs> we have tonics, we call them. Anyway, we have strange restrictions, which are not really around healthy diet at all, actually. They're very weird. Um, but they are as they are. And they're a kind of simplicity of life. You just really simplify things in the way we do it once you understand, <laughs> once you get past some of the rules. But it really simplifies things. Okay, this is the time we eat. We eat together. We have our meals together. And, and we try to develop a, an attitude of appreciation for what is offered rather than being fussy about what is offered. So again, personal choice is, unless one is cooking, and then personal choice is kind of limited by whatever's in the larder. But personal choice is no longer the paramount, the, the thing that's of most importance. Whereas in when one has resources and money and, and can cook what one wants, then the type, you know, the what I want becomes important, which is not wrong, it's not bad. But here it's interesting now because the choice is no longer the monastic's choice, it's just is what is offered, and one has tried to develop contentment, there's a, a, a kind of opportunity to develop awareness around that, awareness around food. Not, not, a, kind, not a kind of refinement about what kind of food is really, really good and the kind of food I really, really like. No, just awareness around what, what food is and how you respond to it. Food is fuel. You need it for the body, but then any any kind of preferences around food. You see, oh, there's a preference, liking, disliking, wanting more, not wanting. We have the main meal at midday, and the it's a it's a it's a great one when you start because you don't know how much you need. And anyone who's done retreats, you know, if you've done a long retreats and you you're not used to eating that last meal at midday, then there's a kind of panic that sets in. This is my last chance. So people overeat, you know, they just stuff themselves. <laughs> and you know that's allowed. The Buddha did not say you cannot stuff yourself. He says just look at the consequences of stuffing yourself. So then you feel guilty, and then you will never do it again, and then something comes around. So what the, the monastic and anyone on retreat begins to be able to see greed, greed for food. Not that it's right or wrong, Greed, if you didn't have greed for food, you wouldn't eat. This is natural. But now, the emphasis is not on the object of the greed, the object of desire, it's on awareness. So, celibacy, the emphasis is not on the sexual desire, it's on awareness of sexual desire. Food, it's no longer uh, the type of food or the product that's being produced, it's the awareness of the greed. So all the time what we're doing is that we're... We're, we're choosing awareness as opposed to the objects of awareness. We're choosing awareness of desire rather than choosing the objects we desire. And this choice, this choice of moving back into awareness rather than out to the khandhas, out to the sense experience, this choice is the, the basic choice of renunciation because it's only that renunciation of desire, of the objects of desire, of the objects of consciousness, of the objects of awareness, is that renunciation, not going there, but turning back into awareness, which is the heart of renunciation, I think. That's the heart of renunciation. It's not about shaving the head, and it's not about celibacy. Those are simply 
the formats that we practice in. But if it was just about those external activities that we do, it's just about self-esteem, or just about limiting the amount of food, or, or whatever, then it, we would just be a bunch of rule keepers, and we'd be pretty unhappy. Because that would just be a kind of enforced discipline on the mind. But that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. The discipline that we have is not an enforcement. It's rather an aid in awakening to the way things are. And if I can awaken to unfulfilled desire and not act on it, just know it, just know it as a fire in the mind or in the body, and just witness it and take preference for awareness, then the fires of craving die away. And one realizes the peace of Nibbana. Renouncing anger, say that's part of our renunciation, is to try to uh, live together as a community of fellow seekers um, and not hurt each other, not complain about each other, not whine and complain about whatever, whatever's going on. But see, you're my brother. How can I help you in the holy life? How can I help you attain Nibbana? Now that's the ideal. But then... Anger and aversion, all of that, is also there. So when I'm angry and averse with someone, or complaining about them, that complaining in the mind, say, that's an object of awareness. And because our aspiration is the renunciation of anger, the giving up of all objects, really, then I begin to prefer awareness of anger rather than the anger. The anger's there, you know, it's part of the thing I have to deal with. The, I prefer awareness of complaining as opposed to complaining. I make the preference awareness, and I notice. And how do I do that? How do I notice? Well, I make intentions of loving-kindness. I make intentions of, with body, speech, and mind, in this day, I will not deliberately hurt you. I will not speak to you in ways which are hurtful. I will not think of you in ways which are hurtful. I will encourage your practice. Now, that's the determination on a social level, on an, an, an inner level, and then that determination is a renunciation of anger, is a renunciation of complaining. But it doesn't mean that anger and complaining all of a sudden end. No, no, they don't end. They're just actually amplified because now you really see, oh, wow, look at that. I'm always complaining about people. Or I'm always putting people down. Or I'm always angry at people. And there's a kind of awakening. Wow, look at that. I never noticed that. I just believed it before. I thought it was true that you were a creep. <laughs> but it's actually my mind. It's my whinging, complaining mind. And that sense of personal responsibility is a part of renunciation, isn't it? No, this is my suffering. I'm creating this. I'm responsible for this. And I, I begin to be aware of anger rather than be angry. I am aware of complaining rather than complain. And again, the preferences for awareness rather than the objects of awareness, rather than the driven nature of awareness, uh, of anger and so on. Unfulfilled desires bring up anger. I don't get what I want. I get frustrated. People say things which I don't like. The schedule is not the way I like it. So, Unfulfilled desire brings forth anger. Frustration doesn't bring forth joy, does it? 
frustration brings disappointment brings forth anger and complaining and all those kinds of mindsets and now the renunciant is no my choice is awareness rather than the objects of awareness my choice is no longer to uh, dump my negativity on others or, or believe in my complaining mind but to witness now to witness to the complaining so then the very the very Situations of frustration and disappointment become, as Ajahn Chah would say, our aids and allies in awakening. If I feel, you know, if I see a habit of complaining in my mind or, or just being angry, and I make a determination, I'm going to use that for awareness. Rather than think I shouldn't be angry, you know, I'm going to use that very habit to become more aware of objects of consciousness. That's a kind of renunciation, isn't it? That's a kind of where I renounce the activities of hurting others and I make a determination to use those very activities which I've hurt others and myself as a way of becoming more mindful, more aware. So again, I choose awareness. I choose awareness to do that. I change my perceptions. I learned how to um, interpret life in different ways, in ways which are freeing, in ways which are non-desire. Take something like anger. How am I interpreting life when I'm, when I'm always complaining or angry? Well, I look at a sign, I look at a situation, I see something in someone's behavior, and I start to focus on that sign, the sign of aversion, the way they move, the way they talk, uh, they're late, they're too early, they're, they do this or they do that. And my mind starts to pick up on something I don't like. It frustrates me. And I hold that sign in mind as being an ultimate reality. This is the reality. That person is like that. They're like that. They're like that. They're like that. And I hold that in my mind and I create a version. I create a version. Even, even if there has some correctness in it, just holding that to that perception creates a world of anger and, and, and the mind complains. So holding the sign of negativity, how do I renounce that? Holding that sign, always just perceiving a person through one particular little lens or perceiving a person through just a one experience or two experiences rather than seeing the totality of the person. Just always picking on that, picking on that, picking on that. That's not renunciation, that's attachment to that perception. So we begin to awaken. Well, that's just a perception. And that perception is insidious, or that perception is persistent, or that perception is deluding, or that per- whatever. We have some insight that that perception's not a happy guy. Don't want to be there. Don't want to live like that the rest of my life. And part of our renunciation is to give up those and introduce other perceptions. We can do that. I see someone and I... And that, that the usual critical perception focuses on them. I say, I say a brother in the mind. Yeah, but actually, you know, he's trying. He's keeping the precepts. And, you know, he did have the flu. And, uh, yeah, but I, I don't like what he does. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, but he's trying. And we have a debate with ourselves. And hopefully, in the debate, compassion wins rather than the complaining mind. Otherwise... You know, it's a it's a suffering life. So the forms of renunciation aren't just around shaving the eyebrows, which Siddhartha's finally done. 
much more profound than that. Obviously, it's not the outfit. It's a nice outfit. <laughs> this is Venerable Subhijano's uh, beautiful work. The shirt. But that's all good. It'll become gray soon. <laughs> but it's obviously more than the outfit, isn't it? It's more, it's, it's about what 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 is important. What is what is our aspiration, and so. A ceremony like this is to really, really drive home what is important and to stick with that re- resolve for a lifetime, maybe a year, hopefully. But that that resolve to make what is important to make it important, to uplift it in the mind, and this is the life of renunciation. The Buddha, te- uh, the the texts tell us that there is the uncreated, the unoriginated, the unformed. There is nibbana. There is the deathless. And our aspiration in the in the papacha ordination, that's actually in the in the chanting that we go forth for that. So renunciation, which didn't have that in view, that possibility of human enlightenment, if that didn't have it in view, it would be a, a, a sterile renunciation indeed. It would have no object, no goal. We have a goal. We have a goal. The goal isn't egotistic, but the goal is. It's couched in many ways. It's the abandonment of greed, hatred, and delusion. That's one way. It doesn't seem like much of a goal. You know, a more positive goal uh, to realize peace, we can put it that way. But the, 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 the negative ways we, we talk about the goals of our life is the abandonment of greed, hatred, and delusion. That's something you can do. <laughs> you may not be able to be peaceful and happy today, but you can notice greed. And you can say, I'm going to be mindful of this, I'm going to be aware of this as an object rather than be the subject of it. That's renunciation. Abandonment of attachment. Attachment doesn't mean you don't have stuff. It would be nice, as Siddhartha, if you just put on the whites and you just blissed out for the rest of your life. But the work has just started, actually. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Siddhartha obviously knows that, we all know that. Uh, maybe marriage is that way, I don't know. You know. Honeymoon's over, oh, this is going to be some work. <laughs> it's good work, isn't it? And why is it good work? Because it's not just based on ego. It's not like just me doing my thing for my little uh, selfish endeavor. It's something much grander, this project. So although Theravada Buddhism can sound very selfish in its encouragement to realize Nibbana, the method, the method is one of generosity and kindness. And so the Anagarika's life, we say to the Anagarika, so you know this is a life of, this years is dedicated service. This is what we would like you to do. We'd like you to serve the community. Work your butt off <laughs> and serve. Learn to cook and, and learn to help the bhikkhus, learn to help the lay people and be of service to this community. And that's, a, that's important, isn't it? That kind of sense that I've come into this life not to negotiate my own terms, uh, not with some sense of entitlement, you know, like, I have the white robe now, I'm entitled to go in my kuti and meditate, but rather, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I make this a, a better place of practice for everyone? It's a wonderful, wonderful aspiration. And then... Like I always reflect to the Anagarikas, you know, if you do become a bhikkhu, 
you are given so much. You're just given so much. This is your chance. This is your chance to, to serve uh, the Bhikkhu Sangha and the laity here. Go for it. And then that basis, that basis of generosity, is renunciation too, isn't it? But it's a joyous renunciation. It's not like, oh God, I have to give up sex. <laughs> it's, it's not that. It's a kind of really joyous thing. Oh yeah, I can, I can use my energies to help people, to help others. And so the, these two, Dana and, and Sila, are the basis for a happy monastic life. A monastic life which isn't just filled with my selfish views and opinions about Pali Buddhism or my my desires to get more space for my practice or, you know, I have to get more samadhi, it's too much work here, all that nonsense. It's actually giving up the, even these ideas that that we can hold in Western Buddhism that, you know, work is not meditation and this is not important and or the kind of ideas of entitlement that we have, like the lay people should serve me because I'm meditating. <laughs> or whatever, whatever we can bring to this. Uh, rather than, this is, this is such a good opportunity. I'm so fortunate to be able to do this. I'm so fortunate to have lay friends who can support me in a community which understands the training. How can I be of service? That's the kind of attitude that carries for a lifetime that you can do, that you can do. If it's an attitude of trying to carve out one's own meditation space, eh, you won't make it six months. <laughs> you wouldn't make five months. And that, I've seen that. I've seen where people come and they, their, their attitude is a kind of minimalist attitude. Do as little as possible <laughs> so that they can do their own meditation. They don't last. They usually get very critical and judgmental and get depressed in their kutis. The ones who can give and serve and then go back to their kuti. So that's important too, that that in the life of service and community there also is the capacity to be in solitude. And so you find typically in monasteries some, um, some people are naturally gregarious. You know, giving is like a piece of cake. Do it, do it all the time. Serving is lovely, they love to do it. Being alone is more difficult. It's a restless experience. It's hard to do that. And that's one type. And then the other type is one who finds it very easy to be alone. Solitude is a very refreshing part of one's life. One loves to go to that. But being with people is more troublesome, more irksome, and not such a easy thing to do. And our, and our training is trying to get a balance for each individual around that. The gregarious person has to learn to be silent, to be still, to be in the kuti, to not always be outwardly engaged. And the, and the more reclusive type has to learn to see other people, engage with them, help them, develop generosity. And that's sometimes how we kind of help each other. You know, we have these different character traits and then we we can learn from each other and see, oh, I see how he does that. And, and hopefully encourage each other and get these balances. So Siddharth, we wish you the very, very best. And... Uh, we look forward to sharing Dhamma with you, but perhaps we could now chant the verses of victory and uh, wish you well in your holy, holy aspiration. Jayanto bodhiyamule sakyanang nantiwata ewang toang vichayo 